بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ رب العالمین وصلاۃ وسلام علیہ رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ویلکم آڈینس ٹو دا ٹوکنگ دین پوڈ کاسٹ آئی ایم یور ہوسٹ ماجد اینڈ ٹوڈے آئی ہیو می یوجول ایز یوجول بدر راش السلام علیکم اسپیشل گیسٹ ٹوڈے بردر آفتاب السلام علیکم ہاؤ از گوئنگ بردرس الحمد للہ ریئلی گڈ الحمد للہ انشاءاللہ That's uh, an ind- a signal for uh, Brother Kam there to, to get out on time. But yeah, so what's your thoughts on uh, what's happening in Brexit? Uh, I, thought, I thought I was going to escape here, the subject of Bre- Brexit, but you can't seem to uh, get away from it. Um, I, I've, I've got two opinions on it. First of all, I, um, I hope it is delayed for as long as possible because it's actually quite amusing watching the politicians yeah. argue over this issue. Uh, you know, when... Um, You, you might get your wish. I think it's, it's already probably going to get delayed till the end of January by yeah, the sounds of it. Uh, I saw a, a little meme someone sent the other day that uh, the year is uh, 2133 and uh, the British Prime Minister has gone to uh, Brussels to... To uh, negotiate to, another to, deal. To, to, to negotiate a delay. And, but no one knows where this tradition has started from. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a humorous aspect to it. But I think the other thing for me is... And this is what uh, the topic of my discussions, especially with Muslims, is that Brexit highlights everything that is actually wrong with democracy to the average person that they can understand, uh, such as that actually the people don't have a say, which is one of the key principles of democracy. B, it doesn't matter what the people think. It's the influences of society who are going to get their way regardless. And if the people are against that influence, then it's only a matter of time before they're going to change what the people think. and impose their view anyway. Okay. I think that's what's just the continuation. No, well, even if we look at what's happening at the moment, it looks like there might be another election. So that's like the latest, isn't it, really, that there's there's a potential for like Brussels to come back and say, you know, it might be, we'll give you a short extension, which won't allow them to have a full election again. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I reckon they'll get an extension till end of January and they'll have a general election again. just to kind of for the Tories or for people to solidify their positions. Because the problem is, it's like what you just said, in a way it is amusing to see the constant bickering that is happening and there's no agreement. But actually that personifies the divisions that are out on the ground as well. So, but you know, in my point of view, in terms of if someone was to ask me, you know, what is your opinion on it? What would you like to happen? To be fair, it's a difficult one to answer. And if you give me a minute, what I would say is at a personal level, I reckon what will happen is that, you know, if it happens and when it happens, and I personally think it will, is that a lot of the fear-mongering that happened was Islamophobic. A lot of the fear-mongering that happened before the Brexit vote was very much um, anti-immigration. So I think there will be a, you know, this continued increase of like far-right and kind of these populist type movements, I think that will continue and the common person, Muslim, will have issues because of it. You know, we can always already see hate crime and stuff going up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the other side of me is like, actually, if it happens and Britain leaves the EU and the EU weakens because of it and therefore the EU breaks up, actually, that is actually advantageous 
for Islam in its entirety at an ummah level. Because a lot of these establishments that have been very anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim world, as the stronger they are, the more difficult it is for Muslims. And the weaker they become, that will be kind of the pathway for Muslims to realize that we need something of our own and will be strengthening for the Muslim situation. So that's why I think there's a few different views potentially you can take. Yeah, subhanAllah. So, I mean... To me, personally, I've not spoken to many Muslims about the Brexit issue because mm. normally we speak to Muslims, it's about more international issues that affect the Ummah. But nevertheless, you know, all the issues affect uh, the Ummah because the Ummah is global, right? But Sorry. the normal uh, discussion you have with the, 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 the English or non-Muslims is they're fed up. They're completely fed up. They don't want to hear the word Brexit. Um, and, you know, if you, if, you, if you bring it up, you know, they'll try to shy away from their original position, which a lot of them said, you know, they want to leave, right? But, you know, in regards to Muslims, because like I said, I've not already spoken to many Muslims about this topic, but as Muslims, um, especially those li- living in the UK, right, what sort of stance should we have towards the Brexit issue? I mean, should, should, there, should Muslims be in this Remainer uh, Lever camp? You know what I mean? Is, does this thing even, should it even exist for, for the Muslims living in the UK? Or is the argument that, look, at the end of the day, Muslims are living in the UK, any laws and, and whatever is going to be passed is going to influence them directly anyway. Mm. So Muslims should have a, some sort of a stance. Mm. Uh, not so much of what you guys have just said there, you know, because you guys have, you know, uh, left out the small talk and gone straight into it, alhamdulillah, which is which is good. But I'm saying that you normally speak to other people, maybe you guys spoken to more Muslims than I have about this issue, but should the Muslims have a stance? Or, or are there a lot of Muslims out there who are like saying, yeah, I'm pro-Remain yeah. and I'm pro-Leave? Yeah, I would say personally, I don't think there's been, I have not had that many discussions one-to-one with Muslims who kind of are, have a real good, solid kind of opinion on it. Generally speaking, you know, when you speak to Muslims, like the small talk side of things is they're concerned. They're, they're, they have a concern that even if, you know, like the whole Brexit thing kind of came out of divisions in society. So in general terms, like it was more a case of um, some of the elite side of, you know, like London, for instance, voted Remain yeah. predominantly. And it was many of the more poorer places that uh, voted to leave. So actually what happens is a lot of the Muslims are actually in many of the poorer places as well. They're, they're scattered. So what you end up seeing is that like, if you speak to the common Muslim, they'll be like, if this is going to cause a problem for my kids at school, or if this is going to pro- cause a problem for me in society, even if they vote kind of remain, they're, they're thinking that from a personal point of view. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the kind of stance most people have had. And they're worried more so that what if leave just means that you know like the the bigots just become you know more yes emboldened yes and so that's what i so think it's not ide- it's not an ideological no sort of viewpoint on that i mean to be honest with you from from what i have seen is uh, a lot of people as long as the you know the uh, they can uh, the the conversion rate between the pound and the rupee mm. stays well <laughs> they, they really bothered but what's your view on that after i think I to echo what uh, brother rash has just said i think um, you know a lot of us uh, you know, our parents were first generation immigrants and uh, they, they remembered what it was like trying to uh, establish a place within a society which was predominantly white and was uh, very nationalistic and they were reluctant and there was resistance to having people come in and, um, you know, have them amongst them. So we we saw uh, or we hear uh, 
you know, at the time that they came in, there was a rise of the right right wing move, uh, movements. Um, and with the discussion of Brexit, we've seen that come back. And what and, and the point that Rash made was spot on, was that uh, what were people referring back to was what was it like before the immigrants came in? And they were referring to the Muslims who came back in, you know, the, the 70s. And I think the parents remember what this time was like, and they are now reiterating that to their kids, that this is the time that's going to come back. So I think what's happened now is that people have agitated the emotions of the muslims especially with regards to their interests on two key things a your safety because the right wing with the rise is going to they're going to target you of course which has happened and i don't think it's just to do with brexit i think it's just the whole general the general mm-hmm. theme that's going on with the with regard to the war in islam but brexit i think is the excuse for it and the second thing is i what is the future of your children going to be like and that point is striking home because apparently EU is a source of our risk, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, in regards to the whole Brexit thing, if you think about it, what it boils down to, something you mentioned at the beginning was democracy. Okay. Now, when we think about the democratic system, certainly with Muslims living in the West, I mean, for a very long time now, you know, um, it's. I think it would, it would, amongst Muslims, it might be common knowledge that, you know, there are voices out there uh, who say that democracy is something which is un-Islamic, okay, that there are people out there who say that, uh, you know, democracy contradicts Islam, and in fact, Muslims shouldn't really have any role to play in a democratic system, okay, but in regards to democracy itself, then, because if you think about when people are speaking about Brexit, and especially the people, both sides, whether the people who are leavers, they are saying that, you know, this was the biggest democratic vote, uh, the nation has spoken, and, you know, you can't go against it. And, you know, the other side, people say, look, you know, uh, people were lied about. So if they had the right information and they had went through the democratic vote, then the, the result would have been different. Mm. Okay. But from a, an Islamic point of view, uh, to do with the issue to do with democracy itself, I mean, is this something which is problematic in general for Muslims, Brexit or no Brexit? No, it is. And this is the thing. And I've, I've had this conversation actually very recently with the Free Brothers and before I was more of the impression that majority of Muslims understood this already but actually there was some of the angles not everybody is aware of until they've sat down with someone and really thrashed it out they don't realize because what so what I mean by that is for instance this idea that democracy can exist whilst you know from an Islamic point of view in other words do the two are the two compatible I think not many people have really thought through and from a Muslim Islamic perspective the fact that what democracy is doing or what democracy stands for is rules coming from people so at the end of the day so even the terminology even if we go kind of from a terminology point of view democracy comes from democratis yeah it comes from the fact that people rule yeah and in other words the sovereignty another way to look at it is sovereignty comes from people all of a sudden so the rules are made by people and the the thing that you hear you know um, power for the people or the rules from the people by the people for the people people. that's another kind of terms that are used so democracy is is understood as that from its very origins so when you're saying it's it's, it's from the people okay uh, by the people yeah. what's the problem with that the problem with that is the the sovereignty aspect and that this is the aspect that needs clarifying amongst muslims is sovereignty what does that mean sovereignty means even the rule that you come up with comes from here comes from your mind from man 
Okay. Whereas this is where it's problematic with Islam is rules do not come from man's aql or man's mind. They come from the Sharia. They come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you break this down for people and say, wait there a minute, when you're making man's rules here, and we already know Allah's rules should be here, what are you doing? You're bringing the two to the same level. And we, as we know, bringing anything to the level of Allah is, is shirk. And people don't, won't immediately go, well, when I'm voting, I'm not committing shirk. They were not going to think okay. that. If they knew that, would they do it? And this is where I think the clarification needs to be had that democracy in itself is un-Islamic. Mm. And I know we can talk about how it's being pushed into our lands and things like that and the reasons behind it. But the fact that the whole thing that democracy is, is un-Islamic, I think that's very important for Muslims to be aware of that first and foremost. Yeah, and, and also just to add to that as well, Rash, I think there will be, you know, you mentioned some people don't, might not understand it. I think some people might not, but some people do. Mm. And and sometimes you, they are given a license purely based on benefit. And and what I mean by that, and subhanAllah, it's, it's, what, it's, it's actually what after I've talked about in respect to uh, safety mm. and respect to your children. Because when the angle is that, look, if you were not to uh, participate and, and put your vote in the democratic system, then the people who may come into power are going to be the people who are anti-Islam, anti-immigration, whatever. And this is going to affect your safety and it's going to affect the future of your children. So maybe there's that element as well. So, But in regards to the de- democracy then itself, what we're saying is the fact that this is something which is a foreign idea to Islam, completely foreign. Completely Completely, and I think uh, when Russia described or defined what democracy is and the origins of the word are from the people, and when you give the law to the people to dictate, then that automatically removes the right of the creator or takes religion out of the discussion totally. And uh, that's what you see. You see uh, all the advocates of democracy saying religion doesn't have a place. It's up to the people to decide. And when the people decide, then like say don't refer back to uh, what the creator says so what you're saying is obviously democracy is linked to secularism yes and linked to the f- freedoms yeah. that emanate from secularism it's linked to secularism and it's become the uh, the governing system okay. that the world uh, or what the advocates of it want the world to live by mm. and govern by because then this puts them on an equal part and uh, if you look back, and I think this comes down to the other point, like you mentioned, why Muslims, we should Muslims have a stance on this. Actually, I think Muslims should have a stance because... Well, on, if, on Brexit, you mean? On democracy, oh, and then okay. this is obviously linked to, uh, you know, how do we partake in democracy in order to have a stance on Brexit. Okay. And after um, the demise of the Cold War, uh, and actually sometimes I forget how old we are, because some of your listeners might not even know what the Cold War was. Bro, the, talk, speak for yourself. <laughs> Uh, well, I think we're all the same age, right? <laughs> so the Cold War was a fight for uh, two superpowers on how the world should actually live by. So yeah. it's two different ways of life. And after uh, capitalism, headed by America, won that war, they they outlined and they clearly said that actually the threat to capitalism now lies in the Muslim world with Islam. And as a result, the focus has become on Muslims abandoning their way of life and adopting a new way of life led by democracy which is actually the laws should come from us the people you know, okay. actually, just quickly i didn't know you were going to mention that point actually you know i wrote down that you know the nato general secretary willie class you know he said after the 
he mentioned that I think he was a number of uh, foreign secretaries back where he said the alliance and this is talking about NATO okay yeah he said the alliance has placed Islam as a target for its hostility in place of the Soviet Union Subhanallah. yeah so it's quite clear isn't yeah. it that there was a time when it was set up as a means of kind of ensuring that there's a protection against the during the Cold War especially yes. against the Soviets against the Russians but now that that threat has somewhat been diminished now we need to utilize it yeah. as a mechanism against the Muslims and how much more clear does that need to be so that I thought I found that interesting and, and to add to that actually uh, again you know being around at that time and we remember the Gulf War uh, all the world leaders were coming out with it you know president bush uh, senior was the first one margaret thatcher at the time categorically said islam replaces the threat posed by the defunct capital communism mm -hmm. uh, berlusconi came out with a statement saying that our way of life is superior to the muslims and we shouldn't be ashamed to say this okay so there's many many statements that we can refer back to where the the threat of islam not physical war because you know you know 9-11 as a strategy came way later we're talking well before this the threat of Islam as a way of life in the way people uh, transact and uh, live their life and govern themselves uh, opposed to capitalism was identified well before and they identified Islam as the threat that they need to eradicate and you know what this is what links it back to Brexit so some people might go you're talking about Islam there you're talking about you know battle between kind of the Islamic way of life and kind of Western secular way of life why is Islam linked to Brexit so when I was doing a bit of research here this is where you, you if you look at the the events that were going on around Brexit and I mentioned it right at the beginning it's very interesting they did a YouGov poll to people who voted to leave and quite a significant like more than 30% of those people were kind of believed kind of conspiracy theories like what's happening is Muslims are trying to come into the UK and Islamize Britain so we need to vote against this equally some of the comments that were on social media and nowadays as you know they use social media as kind of a barometer for public opinion yes so some of the comments that all of a sudden spiked and they did some studies and we should be aware of this. They're very clever at the way they utilize the data. You know, the metadata that comes from all of these different platforms. They use that data to have a look at what words are used with other words. So they'll do things like, and there was this one study that said, and it was, this was in the Times. It said Brexit, Muslim, and then, you know, they've got a way of measuring negative and positive comments. Yeah. And as soon as they did that, they realized the spike in negative comments off the back of Brexit towards Muslims and Islam significantly increased. Okay. So then all of a sudden you can see there's a link. Okay, so just take things back a little, okay? Because the thing is, is that we, we acknowledge that there are, there are Muslims and as you said there, Rash, the fact that there are many people who probably don't appreciate the reality of democracy and, and why it's un-Islamic, right? So, from an Islamic point of view, what are the evidences? Because at the end of the day, someone might, you know, just argue that, look, it's just me casting my vote. You know, where where does it say in the uh, hadith, where does it say in the Quran that democracy, specifically democracy, is something which is un-Islamic? So I think it's only fair that we make it very clear why democracy is something which is prohibited, uh, something which is not in uh, does not conform with islam from the islamic sources definitely first and foremost i would say you have to look first reflect initially on allah's name he is al-hakim yeah he is the legislator subhanallah yeah so the legislator means he makes the rules how many places in the quran does it says hukmu illa lillah 
hukum belongs to Allah in lots of places. Even if you go into like the middle of Surah Maida, several um, verses one after the other, Allah is constantly rebuking people. He goes, the kafirun, the zalimun, the fasikun. And what is he saying right at the beginning? He say the rule must be, the legislation is for Allah. Legislation is for Allah alone. Okay. So there's abundant evidences just from the Quran itself that hukum belongs to Allah alone. In other words, legislation belongs to Allah alone. In other words, sovereignty belongs to Allah alone. All of a sudden, as soon as you embrace democracy, what are you doing? You are embracing that now legislation belongs to man. Okay. That's the fun. That was that what I'd base so my I th- discussion I think that's, on. That's key there because sometimes, I don't know if you, if you guys have come across it, but when speaking to people, they'll say, well, look, even in the Islamic rule, humans are involved in, in ruling. You see, the issue here isn't uh, enforcing or implementing a rule. The issue here is actually legislating what is good, what is bad, you know, what is khair, what is shar. Uh, and, and that's the problem. So, you know, sometimes people think, well, look, even the Islamic system, it may be divine, but humans are still involved, so somebody has to make a decision. But the issue is what you're saying there, you mentioned the legislation is the problem. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his, his, one of his attributes is that he is the only one that has the right to decide what is right and what is wrong. Uh, so this, is, uh, this contradicts democracy completely because in democracy, like you guys have said, it's a man and his uncle that decides what is right and what is wrong. And we can see, um, like you know, with the, with what's happening with Brexit at the moment, right? That um, there is nothing which is actually absolute. You're never going to get an agreement between everyone. Yeah, you know, not even in one country or one area, yet alone the world. So you ne- man is not capable of legislating. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, like Rash mentioned, the 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 ayahs in Surah Maida, Allah is rebuking at the highest level those people who rule by other than what Allah has revealed. So it's not like saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Allah is saying, you are kafirun, you are fasikun, you are dalimun. Yeah, this is the highest of rebuke. So this clearly shows that this is not from Islam. And Allah's rules, when they're applied, are absolute. You're not going to get disagreement amongst Muslims, i.e. Should this rule be applied or should it not be applied? How should it be applied? The rule is clear cut. Whereas actually in democracy, you see that that is definitely not the case. And just to add to that, we can see the fact that, you know, when the when creation tries to uh, prescribe laws for other creation, you know, we see the fact that it's never going to work because people are influenced by bias. They're, they're influenced by their upbringing, their society. Subjective. You know, and subjective. And hence why you see a lot of people being favorable you gain extra favors in this sort of society why because of their uh, what do they say it's not what you know it's who, who you, know. you know so the thing is is that if i'm going to decide what's right and wrong as as a human being using my limited mind um, i'm really going to base it on what benefits me and what harms me in reality if you were yeah. to say you know what do you what do you think is good i'm going to say what favors me right and, and the opposite so if that's the case then i can't then decide What's right and wrong for you, purely on that on that basic fundamental level, because it's not going to be possible, right? Exactly. I was going to say, uh, sorry. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say, okay, yeah, yeah, guys, yeah, this yeah, is a perfect yeah. example there. Yeah. The fact that you guys were trying to, yeah, <laughs> okay, it didn't work. No, but I think we probably agree on this issue, though. Um, but I think 
An example of what you just highlighted there has been shown through colonialism, historic colonialism, wherever the West has gone and colonized their world, trying to impose their way of life on people, the people have hated them and historically that mm -hmm. hatred has remained. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And even when, you know, there's a new form of colonialism where they go and impose, um, you know, they, they take over their establishments or institutions within a particular country, that hatred for the colonialists is still there. Mm -hmm. So that goes to show the fact that you can't come and impose your view on people who have got a different idea, different bringing, different values. Subhanallah. Yes. You, all I was going to say is we, we, what we, people do is they give undeserved credit to this concept of democracy. Let me explain what I mean by that is we're assuming that democracy, when we're talking about it, and this is important when we speak to uh, Muslims especially, is that when the West comes along to us and packages this thing and says this is democracy, we take that at face value and then we go, okay, let's compare it to Islam. Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes let's look at that democracy that they package. You know, the democracy that they bring, it's not democracy at all in itself. Okay. What it is, is I would say their democracy is more like aristocracy, which is like a few people decide the rules and they give this false feeling of democracy to the people. I've heard to say ele elected dictatorship. Exactly, it is elected dictatorship. And you know what's interesting about the Brexit issue is that Brexit is almost an example of a pure form of democracy where one rule, should we leave, should we remain, take it to the people and let them vote. So you could almost argue that Brexit in itself, there's an element of the pure form of direct democracy, pure being, an un, you know, it shouldn't even be used in the same um, vocabulary as that. But generally speaking, you take a rule, go to the people, should we establish yeah. it? If they vote, then we implement the rule. And then take the next rule. But what it is, is completely impractical to take every single rule to the common person and then ask them. And this is what's interesting is that, you know, if you start doing that, you, you get what happened now. You get people who haven't got a clue voting on something yes, no, that they do not know the repercussions of it. They wouldn't have known the, the problems that would have created for the economy, the health service and all of the things that have been affected because Brexit, they're, all of their MPs are busy trying to sort out Brexit, the country is going down the gutter, yet what the MPs are busy with is trying to sort out Brexit. And actually, who's suffering? The lower class, the people you know, on, on minimum wage. Those people are suffering. Why? Because they feel this false sense of, oh, the people are trying, the MPs are trying to implement my what I decided. So actually, democracy in itself is wholly impra impractical. It's flawed. So even what you said there, I mean, if you think about it, the people that are being asked to vote, they don't have that previous information. But you'd have to say that the, the politicians, they are in a uh, they are in a position to make a, a sound judgment in regards to the politics side of it, right? So here we see that when they have a referendum, this illusion of democracy, if the result is in favor of what they believe themselves, right? They'll pass it through and they'll say this is the will of the yeah. people, right? But when they feel that it isn't, what you'll see is what we're seeing today. But just to go back to the issue of democracy as well, because you've given some idea, you've given examples there of, you know, in its reality where it's false, right? But what about the argument where Muslims say that democracy is okay, is fine, because democracy is the same as the Islamic concept of Shura? How would you how would you tackle this this angle this argument? It, it's a good one, and I, I and I actually encourage everyone to um, anyone who's unsure on this issue to actually Google Shura 
and Islam. And you will actually find that you get a few places where people are talking, Muslims are talking about Shura, trying to give a context. But most of the places that you're going to go and find information on Shura are going to come from American think tanks who are trying to find a way to show the fact that Western way of life, democracy, is compatible with Islam. And the only example that they've got to use is this one of Shura. Um, Shura uh, is its consultation, and that's what the word is derived from, is, is, is to consult. Um, and, um, you know, consultation is good. You know, we, we consult with, yeah. with each other. And people take this consultation aspect back to Muhammad Sallam and uh, so, so, so. to the to uh, the Khalifs who came after Muhammad Sallam. And they say, see, Muhammad Sallam engaged within uh, democracy or Shura, and they tried to make the two synonymous. And the two are not synonymous because one is actually where does the rule come from? And that's saying the rule comes from the people. And the other example of Shura is where Muhammad Sallam and uh, the Khalifs on some issues discussed with a group of people on the best way to go about something. And it wasn't to do with legislation. Legislation was fixed. It was to do with application. And styles. And, and styles. Maybe, yeah. Like you say, and, uh, and most of the examples you're going to find are going to be where Shura took place was to do with the war. As in, what is the best way to uh, implement strategy of war? But you do have Majlis Ashura, don't you? You have, and that's where the examples came from. And the other thing about this, uh, these examples were that none of them were actually binding on Muhammad Sallam or the Khalifs. These were just discussions that took place from where you could decide on the best plan of action. But the ultimate responsibility was going to be on the head of state, Muhammad Sallam, or the Khalifs afterwards to decide. And you can have many examples where some of them, Muhammad Sallam, may have acted upon it. And there's many examples where he didn't. And that goes to show actually that the fact that this Shura example is just there for consultation and not for application. And, e and even the consultation uh, is going to be within matters which are permitted. Mm. Exactly. Isn't it? Nothing to do with legislation. Yeah. So, so, that, so in itself, would you not say that the fact that they, they are trying to, uh, or there are certain people pushing this idea, they understand that a lot of Muslims actually, their awareness on democracy is there because if you were to say to somebody clearly who has the right to rule man or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I think any Muslim around the world is going to when you say it like that and you explain it in a certain way they're going to say obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yeah. right but when you say the shura thing what that does is it's sort of like uh, muddies the, the water it, you know it's not clear now what, what is it you're trying to portray and then what you'll do is like you said you may give examples from the shura from, from Islamic history when shura shura was done itself uh, just just to add uh, another point, I think when these discussions come about, a Muslim should actually say, let me understand what it is you're asking first. Mm. What is democracy and what is Shura? Let's understand what the two are and then see whether they are the same, same or not. And that's when you will clearly find that actually one emanates from a premise that the creator, religion, whatever you want to say, has nothing to do with legislation and it's the will of the people. Mm. And another is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed on certain issues. Okay. And that's when you actually find whether they're compatible or not. And when you ask the question like that, the answer starts to become quite clear. The fact that actually the two are from two completely different premises, therefore how can they be the same? Yeah, I think it should be very clear, even just from what Aftab just said there. People should be able to look at it and go, let's look at the two things, let's compare them. Often what, it, what happens is, there's this mentality, isn't there, that if we can get across, across a certain viewpoint, using scholars, using people of knowledge, 
using literature, using our media to the common person that, oh, what you're engaging in is purely just shura or it's purely just something that is permissible in Islam. And especially when it happens in Muslim lands. Because we're probably talking from the point of view is that there's been discussions, say, even in like the UK about whether you're allowed to vote. And then that argument has been put forward. And actually, then you can have the discussion and go, actually, look, the legislation here is democratic. Whereas the same conversation in Muslim land sometimes might be, look, we have to do something. There are these parties that are involved, the, the, the governments are involved. And if we don't get involved, then all of a sudden, that's going to be to our detriment. So actually, it's very important to have this discussion, as Aftab's described, with people so they immediately realize that democracy isn't something we can get involved in, but shura is something under the right framework. And then the common person should naturally say, well, what do you want me to do then? Should I do nothing? And that's when, as soon as they come to that premise, do nothing, that's when the conversation needs to be taken forward. You know what's good there, what you've done? You know when you said you it's worldwide? Because mm. there is a different reality in the Muslim lands than here. Here, maybe when people speak about democracy, Muslims, they are looking at it from a point of view. Some may understand it, but they say, well, you know what? It's the example of the less of the two evils, right? But in the Muslim lands, democracy has been sold in a different way. And the and, and reason why that is, is because think about it, since the you know d- demise of the Uthmani Khilafah, the lands were colonized and there were puppet rulers placed over the Muslims. And what we see is that these were dictators. So now when you had 30, 40, 50 years of dictatorship, where you have you have no will, you know, basically you can't express uh, what you feel because you'll be thrown to a dungeon and etc. Now, when someone approaches you and says, actually, democracy is being able to vote what you want, mm. the issue is, is, isn't whether they want to vote for uh, secularism or for Islam. No, the issue is when they just think democracy is able to have what you want, vote for what you want, you know, it sounds appealing. But if you were to drop, if you were to explain it in the way you have, even the most, uh, uh, even those who are uh, living under the brutal dictatorship, they'll understand that this is something which we cannot accept. And an example of that really is the fact that, you know, when the Arab Springs occurred and they were promoting the issue of civil state. Okay. Mm. And I was reading this, uh, reading this article and uh, there were like, there was some Syrian uh, think tank or activists. And what they were saying is that they were saying that we use the word civil state deliberately because had we used the word secular state, it would be rejected. And what they said, the reason why we use civil state, even though what that means really is civilian rule, which is no different to democracy, but what the, the, the climate of the Middle East was that you had these militaries and these dictators ruling you, so they were selling it as civil state is opposed to a military state, right? So people were, you know, maybe buying into that. But in the reality, when you break it down in the way you guys have done, you know, every single Muslim, I will be able to see and say this is something which we which we have to reject. And okay. <laughs> uh, it's a very good point. And uh, I think what is clear is you could give people a term and misdefine it, and people might run with it. They'll say, "Yeah, we want democracy," and their understanding might be different. So yeah. there might be advocates of the term democracy. But with the Muslims, when you explain what it is and the implications of it, that's when you'll see the hatred for this and the fact that Muslims will reject it. And so, so quick, quick on that, should, should we, you know, okay, what you just said there, fair enough, right? But would you say that, is it okay to use 
Islamic democracy as a, as mm, as a, no. a phrase which means shura is it even is it okay to say that no it isn't and i think that's there's, there's there's you can give two examples of why this isn't a um you know the quran says that we should be really careful allah says in the quran that we should be very careful about the terminology that we use because we don't want something to use a word which is actually associated with a different meaning that's the first thing but secondly i think what's important for muslims is you can't have a term and redefine it and have a different definitions from the advocates of it and those who are trying to spread it throughout the world because that's when you can't have consistency in what is our discussion going to be so we have to have a united agreement on this is the terms of reference of this conversation that we're going to have so i with democracy or any other term where there might be a misunderstanding let's agree on what the definition is first especially when we already have our own way of exactly. denoting that's what it means we don't need to replace it with something we else don't. when islam already gives us the correct terminology and what it means exactly and when we especially go back that the origins of the word aren't uh, the origins of democracy don't come from arabic or islam they come from the greeks so let's go back to those people who originated with originated the term and let's understand what they what mean they by, by it and it, let's yeah. have a discussion on this just with one quick point you know the point you made earlier i think that's really interesting in that you know taking from the point of view we talk about shura and then that was the angle they were trying to push and then you mentioned something was about the lesser of the evils I look at this is in a positive way. So what was happening is, you know, the second, the lesser of the two evils actually defeats their initial stance. So they try to present shura as being democracy, and actually you can see how that failed because they had to move towards lesser of the evils because all of a sudden to move to lesser of the evils must mean that you think shura was an evil in the first place. Do you, do you see how that yeah. do you see what I mean? So you're trying to package democracy ashura first yeah. that didn't work so now what you're trying to go is oh no actually both of the things are bad in other words getting involved in democracy okay we're saying it's un-islamic so now you're agreeing that going into democracy isn't actually shura because shura is allowed yeah. but it is something un-islamic however you're allowed to do an un-islamic thing if it's the lesser of the evils in other words lesser of the evils concept is very much about is like if you refrain the the harm that will happen is worse than if you engage yes. yeah so that this concept so the muslims especially in the west especially in britain they were pushed down this avenue of anybody who came forward and said i'm not going to vote because voting makes man the legislator yes. and i'm not going to vote and I'm, because those people who understand that this is a level of shirk outright that they recognize actually i'm not going to vote and then the imam or someone came to them and went there's this concept called the lesser of the evils that actually we can apply this now and therefore you should vote because if you don't edl or you know like nigel, nigel farage or someone is going to bnp they're going to all of a sudden come into power and that imagine what's going to happen to you then so you should vote and this argument was used so you can see that actually defeated the shura argument for themselves and then presented this new one so but then we should look at this this concept of lesser of two the evils and recognize that even applying this doesn't you're not allowed to apply this in this format because you're still the lesser of the two evils can only be applied in those kind of life and death type of situations you can't apply it purely just because oh okay I've got a comfortable life now all of a sudden I'm going to use this concept to make my life even more comfortable no, it doesn't you know, it doesn't apply the thing is what you just said there about the lesser of the Sorry, two evils God. linked to life and death issues mm -hmm. right from what I understood to be honest with you is that in regards to the lesser of two evils 
from what I understand, is is there's no such Islamic concept. Now that might be controversial, so people can mm. point that and and and, and uh, you know uh, guide me in, in that respect, right? Because the thing is, is that our reference point is the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the best best of mankind, right? And when you're talking about the lesser of two evils, what you're saying there basically is that you have two sins. Okay, you could do the one. You could do the one which is lesser of the mm, sin, yeah. right? Now, where did is there any examples that our messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam he did this, right? There isn't. What I, from what I have heard is that you have uh, this sort of issue. Even the evil is probably the wrong yeah. word, but you have like sometimes where you have two permissibles and you can you can choose which one is the one which is going to be linked to some harm or so. But it's not something which is shar. It's not something which is which is evil. So so you know what you've said there in regards to life and death situations. Mm. Even in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa taala says that you know if you're about to die from starvation. That you can eat something which is haram, but even at that time you're not compromising mm. because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has given you the ijaza, He's given the permission that at that time you can eat it, but you wouldn't feel you wouldn't have to feel guilty about it because that thing at that moment is is allowed for you. It's yeah. no longer an evil. It becomes permissible. So to clarify, this I, I tend to agree with you because this this thing where so what I wasn't saying is that you can go out and do an evil. Because the other the other option is also evil. The, the where it fits, and this is where maybe need some more information. This concept of the lesser of the evils is more about like if you're going to do some actions and you know evil may come from it, then do the action which less evil comes from. However, even then you're talking about it doesn't apply to the situations where, like you say, the the actions are sinful in themselves. If if and also it applies to if there isn't an alternative. So all of a sudden, what you're saying is there's two evils in front of me. Are you forced to make that decision, or can you refrain? Yeah, I mean, the, you see what I mean. I know what you're saying, but the thing is, if going back to the life of the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, we can see that you know there were many times, there were many times that he was put in a position, mm. right, where had he gone down a certain route, that would have minimized uh, any evil. For example, the Quraysh, they, they said to him. You know that we will believe in what you have for a year, and you do the same. And we can, you know, there were times when, you know, uh, at that, there were times where, if you think about it, when he, when the the messenger Sallallahu was approaching the different tribes at that time when he had lost his protection from his uncle, he had lost, you know, his 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 wife Hadija radhiyallahu Right at that time when the situation was dire, you would say that when powerful tribes came and said, you know, we'll accept you except for clause mm. number 99, a small, you know, in the small print, he could have said, well, you know what, let me take the majority of it and then I'll try to undo this. Mm. But we, but it never happened. So I would argue the fact that, you know, when it comes down to the life of the Messenger Wasallam, what he has shown us is that I can't find any example where he chose the lesser of the evil in any situation. I think this uh, this concept uh, of the lesser of two evils is one that is alien to Islam. This isn't from Islam, and like you said, there's no examples of it because it's not from Islam. It actually originates from Christianity, where they talk about the lesser of two evils because um, you know is there some benefit which is you know, i.e., the harm isn't as bad mm. as as the other. What what we were talking about here is actually uh, when you're in a life and death situation, and then what is the law of doing something which may have appeared to be haram before, but in that situation it's not. Like the example of uh, eating pork, for example, when uh, you're you know when you're suffering from starvation, and then at that point pork is not haram for you because it's allowed. And even that comes from necessity, isn't it? It that comes from necessity. And that was the point I was going to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. going to carry on. No, no, it's all yeah. right. It's all right. And I was going to say uh, a lot of people are now trying 
trying to redefine what is necessity and necessity is clear cut it's a life or death issue and that's the only place where Allah has given you leeway to actually um, do something which in normal circumstances would be haram uh, and I'll give you an example so I was speaking to a brother recently especially because this one goes this is quite next level in that there, there's I'm not sure the names they put together like an app for, for people who are looking to buy houses so what they've done is they put an app together you might know it in your I think yeah. the the people who the group that have done it is up in Manchester or near way kind of up north and they've put together this app both in Arabic and in English so if you download this app you can go through and it gives you loads of arguments to do with by having a, a mortgage and not just even is, a, like is, a, Islamic arguments yeah exactly Islamic and not just uh, Islamic you know any mortgage any mortgage any high street mortgage yeah. is allowed and on that and the app someone's gone to a lot of effort of putting the all of the arguments in Arabic and in English so if anybody who's confused especially for the common person to pick that up and go why is it permissible for me to do this and the crux of it and I went through it with a brother yeah. I went through all of the different arguments that it was using, the crooks, it all came down to one argument. In terms of Sharia, the only thing that it used, and I went, spent quite a bit of time with the brother with it, the only thing that it used was necessity. necessity. That was the only thing that came all the way down to, in the UK, it's a necessity for you to have a house. Yeah. And that's and then all. How does that apply to life and death situation? It doesn't, and that's why whenever someone uses this example of like saying necessity, for example, or democracy and shura, uh, we always have to refer back to actually what has Allah said about necessity. Exactly. What kind of situations does it apply? And, and not only that, what what leeway do I have? What are the specific actions that Allah has allowed me to do in that situation? And the necessity aspect, you're right, I've heard it for interest, especially with regards to buying a house. And the other example I've really heard it in is when someone is selling alcohol, for example, to say, oh, you know, there's going to be really difficult for you to transact in a halal way. Therefore, you know, it becomes your necessity to sell alcohol. I've not heard that one. That yeah, one. yeah. No, what I've heard about that one is where it's not even, to be honest with you, I don't know who you spoke to, bro, but I've never heard anyone try to uh, give a like, Sharia example or excuse to the alcohol. The mortgages they have, because to be honest with you, there are some imams or whoever they are, scholars, or I'm not sure if they're scholars. I'd, I'd question their scholarship, if they were scholars, to be honest with you, is the, fa- is the fact that when they say like, you know, the first house is allowed to get mortgage, mm. but nothing, that's exactly what it was but, saying. But nothing more than that. But yeah. okay, so let's let's move on, inshallah, Taala, from mortgages because <laughs> I don't think any one of us uh, at this moment have looked to buy a house. Uh, but to do with rulership, to do with with uh, democracy, okay. So what about the fact that uh, people can give examples of uh, messengers and prophets from the past who uh, you know uh, participated, who had positions in uh, non-Islamic systems. For example, uh, you had uh, Prophet uh, Yusuf you know, he had a position in uh, Egypt uh, as a treasurer. Um, and I think uh, Dawood from, from had some sort of position. So the fact that, you know, there were prophets that worked in non-Islamic society systems, how would you tackle that? So when I've come, I have actually come across that argument a couple of times. So whenever I've spoken to people, I've, I clarify on a few different grounds. I highlight the fact that Islam is a perfect deen. As Allah tells us, he has perfected this deen. It has a rule and guidance for every single situation. Okay. So I'll start with that. I'll say, if Islam has brought everything, 
why do you need to get any legislation from any of the previous prophets? That's not to say that in the same way that the Quran presents examples of the prophets in terms of lessons. Yeah, and it gives us lessons because those were the hardships and those were the issues that they went through and it helped the Prophet ﷺ in his times of difficulty because that's when quite a few of the verses of the Quran regarding the previous prophets came. SubhanAllah. Okay, so first and foremost, we know that Islam is perfect and it has all the rules, so we don't need to go to prior kind of evidences in terms of not even evidence is the wrong word to use a prior kind of sh legislation from previous prophets so sharias sharias from different prophets also in the quran itself in surah al-maida and actually it's near those this is um, verse number 48 whereas 45 46 47 is the ones that talk about legislation is from allah so this is verse number 48 where it says to each among you we have prescribed a law and a clear way highlighting that each of the prophets came with their own legislation for their people and the prophet sallallahu when he bought the quran and his sunnah his legislation um, is the final legislation uh, okay. Overrides. and it, what's the word i'm looking at abrogates well, that's the word i was looking for all previous legislation in the same way as we don't take legislation from the bible we don't take legislation from the torah we take it from the Quran and the Sunnah and where the mention of the other prophets is there is purely for lessons. That's the way I would normally. And just to add um, to what Rashid said, if you look at all the eyes of the Quran, Allah says, whatever Allah and his messenger have given you, accept it and whatever they have told you to abstain from, stay away from it. And there's other examples where Allah says it's not fitting for a Muslim man or woman to have a say on an issue when Allah and His Messenger have already passed judgment. And the other example I just want to give is uh, there was a time that in, in uh, the hadith you'll find this where Omar ibn Khattab was, uh, was uh, reading the Torah and uh, Muhammad rebuked him saying that, you know, if Musa was here today, he would have no choice but to follow what I have said. So this goes to show exactly what Rasha said that the previous, uh, whatever the previous prophets have given for us, they are stories that we can learn from, but they are not anything for us to act upon. Okay, there's, there's, there's another angle as well, which some people come out with, and, and we heard this quite a lot. I mean, it may be a, a classical uh, angle, or maybe it, it was totally taken out of context, but certainly when you know when the Arab Springs occurred, mm. or Arab Springs, shall I say, uh, we see that this, when the people were promoting civil state model in the Muslim lands, what they were promoting was something called the Maqasid al-Sharia. Okay, the objectives of the Sharia. And this is something which was discussed by one of the classical scholars, uh, Al-Shatabi, Rahimahullah, right? And what they, what they, would, what they took from uh, uh, Al-Shatabi's opinion was that what he said was that the Sharia has objectives, uh, which the Sharia law has certain objectives which it has to meet. Okay, so for example, what he said is that uh, such as the preservation of life, property, mind religion and lineage okay so what one of the arguments is that if these uh, objectives of the, of the if the objective of the sharia is to meet these okay is to preserve these these points so you could have a model of ruling which is different to just say uh, the khilafah or you know from what the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam set in uh, establishing Medina because a side argument which you guys might want to touch upon is the fact that some people do argue that you know there's no prescribed system of ruling 
in the in the Islam, the way the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam set set you up in Medina was just how it was done then. But as long as the maqasid, as long as the objectives of the Sharia are met, it's this could even be in a democratic system, as long as these are met. And to be honest with you, I even saw a video not long ago where uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was saying something on the lines of that the American Constitution is basically basically the Sharia. Right, so maybe that's coming from the same angle as well. So how how do you tackle the issue of the makas of the Sharia? You know, like this this link back to your last question as well. So if I'll mention that as well, you know, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was offered rulership in 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 Makkah by the Quraysh, what did he do? He rejected. Right. So even how it's the reason why I link it to your last question in terms of obviously the different prophets prophets that. It took part in um, kind of the, the establishment or the system that we can see that the Prophet ﷺ rejected. So when we look at the Makasid, what it's firstly trying to do is when it talks about and another way of looking at Makasid is like the principles. Yeah. You know, the Sharia outcome is justice. Therefore, any other system that produces justice that's compatible with yes. Islam. So all of a sudden, that from the point of view of the Prophet ﷺ, if he could get involved in that system and then implement justice, would that have meant automatically that that system was Islamic? The fact that he chose not to get involved firstly alleviates, you know, kind of answers the question about, you know, different prophets and whether we can take Sharia from them. But it also highlights to us that being involved in any system that is not Islamic is not allowed. But in terms of specifically what I would say about the Makasid is that Let's take really simple examples. The one that I gave is the justice one, isn't it? So all of a sudden, what we're saying is that a good example of this is Egypt used this. You know, Egypt in their constitution. So let's take an example. What it says in their constitution is Islam is the religion of the state. Arabic is the official language. And then it says principles of Islamic Sharia are the principal source of legislation. Yeah. So what it's saying is anything that can achieve things like justice, we can use it as rulership. All of a sudden that means you don't need to use Sharia as the base, as the framework that you take it from. And that's problematic because what you're saying is all of a sudden things that come from the West, what things, other examples, freedom of speech, yeah, yeah? freedom of ownership, what, what other, freedom of expression. So the argument that is given things like is freedom of speech is what protects, yeah, um, allows us to voice our opinion. But actually, freedom of speech is also the same freedom that lets people attack the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yeah. At the same time, it says freedom of belief. They say, oh, okay, that because Islam allows you, you know, if Islam doesn't enforce you to become Muslim, yeah. So because Western, you know, secularism and that and democracy allows freedom of belief, that means it's achieving the principle that Islam allows which is you're allowed to you know believe in whatever you believe in but at the same time doesn't that also mean that when Islam says you're not allowed to apostate freedom of belief in the western framework means you're allowed to apostate is that allowed in Islam it's not so these principles and maybe I haven't done it justice in clarifying completely but these principles are supposed to be used within an Islamic framework not outside an Islamic framework. Due to technical issues the audio may sound distorted from this point onwards. We apologize for this. 
please continue to listen on as some very important points are raised. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would say because these are objectives of the Sharia. How can you have objectives that are met outside of the Sharia? Exactly. Because the thing is, is that if, for example, one of those things was uh, preservation of religion, as an example, mm-hmm. right? So if you had rules in a in a country which is built on the secular Akidah, where it said that you're allowed to believe what you want. In fact, according to secularism, you're allowed to believe what you want. Okay? So that would mean that we don't need Islam because of this. Or, because to be honest with you, in reality, I'm sure every single contract there has certain objectives, which are preservation of life, property, mind, religion, lineage. To be honest with you, I think every state out there would claim that their objective is also to preserve these things. So, hence why what I would say, and linked, add to your point, is that what we're trying to say here is that you can achieve object, the objectives of Islam, the object, objectives of Sharia, outside of Islam and outside of Sharia. And in that respect, is the, the argument is just, you know, it's erroneous. You know, that, that, you know people who promote it, I personally think that they, they uh, are uh, misinterpreting the, the scholar of Shatabi's uh, sayings because I'm sure he never said that you could have a, a democratic a, a secular state as long as these are met you don't need the hadood you don't need Allah's laws being implemented why would the laws be implemented why not just Allah SWT just revealed the Quran with just these principles, principles and said that's it whoever achieves these you saw it if you actually read what Al-Shartabi said, he, he was saying that it is only as a result of the implementation of Sharia that you're going to get these. Yeah. SubhanAllah. Right? Um, and I think, uh, just to add a couple of more points to what you guys have said, this this uh, objectives of Sharia discussion is a new phenomenon. You know, the classical scholars, up until like, you know, while Islam was, uh, you know, ruling the world, this discussion never came up. No one ever questioned the, the rules of uh, the rules of Allah. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure most of the people who are going to be listening are going to think the objectives of Sharia are pretty simple, right? Which is, actually, we've got to implement Allah's rule in all aspects of our life. And it's even within uh, the punishment system. And the other point I just wanted to add is, Allah says in the Quran, and uh, just to give an example from Surah Baqarah, he says, fighting has been prescribed for you, but you don't like it. And uh, he goes on to say that you will like which is bad for you and dislike what is good for you. But you know not, Allah knows best. So I think this verse highlights the fact that what Allah has revealed is what we got uh, what we got to follow. Our mind can't play a part in why has Allah asked us to do this action because we're never going to know the good or the bad within it. But all we have to do is implement it. Yeah, and so that has been the stance of everyone throughout history up until recently when actually with the advocation of democracy and trying to adopt a different way of life and move away from that link between Allah's law and what has man said that people start to discuss actually these are just objective of what Allah has intended and therefore we can follow a different way as long as we achieve that same output. Okay, subhanAllah. Just, so, I just want to clarify something. I don't think you meant this, but I don't think it was a case of any of the scholars needing to reinterpret anything or that it wasn't clear what Allah's laws was. I think there's a very specific reason why that al shatabi wrote that was that as new realities came about the concept of ijtihad in other words deriving new rules from a new reality became more important you're right in the earlier generations that wasn't as important because okay the reality was relatively similar the rules were there they were implemented they were governed exactly as as they needed to be later on as new realities arose as we needed to derive new rulings the this framework 
that was presented was deriving new rules from Islam. In other words, it wasn't for clear-cut issues, clear-cut issues like the hudud, like the punishments, like the implementation of the Sharia. They remain. Even Shatabi himself says that it's, this is not for the clear-cut issues. This is for those issues that we may need to kind of really exert effort to derive new rules from. And when we go to derive a new rule, and this is not for any old person to do, when we go to derive a new rule, when the Mujtahid derives a new rule, make sure he thinks about the principles of Sharia. In other words, don't derive a rule from the Quran and Sunnah, then go, okay, this doesn't now give us justice. This doesn't now protect religion. This doesn't now protect. So it was a means to make sure that Ijtihad was done correctly. Yeah, I don't see a problem with that. Mm. I think it's just the way it's been promoted. And as Afi said as well, the, 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 the angle of the way it's been promoted now is something which is quite recent. Yeah. So in short, to sort of like bring this uh, thing to, to a close, uh, one thing I want to speak about uh, briefly, um, or discuss, shall I say, is the fact that you know we can see clearly that democracy is un-Islamic, is something which has no room in in Islam, and even the angles that the people come up with, and I think subhanAllah, you guys have done justice in refuting these angles. Why do you think uh, the West has an obsession with spreading democracy? within the Muslim lands within the Muslims. It has an obsession because it just so seems like whenever they talk about the Muslim lands, they will always talk about there's lack of democracy. We want to spread democracy. Yeah, we want to win hearts and minds, i.e. we want people to accept democracy. Why do you think there's this obsession? And I think Afi touched on it a bit more, but it'd be good just to mention it a few times before we bring this to the end, to an end. I think it goes back down to um, you know the struggle between Islam and Kufr has started from day has been there from day one. Uh, it was evident uh, at the time of Muhammad and we've seen it as, as, uh, go on through throughout history. And today, what we are seeing is, uh, you know, the the struggle between Islam and Kufr. Uh, you know, at, at at a peak, if you like, you know. Um, and I touched on it as you said when we were talking about um, the two ways of life existing in the world. And when you just look at that, it's actually two ways of life where two different sides are saying this is how we need to interact with each other and this is how the world should operate and you can't have two opposing views which which uh, are going to be able to exist in the world because by by that definition these ideologies need to spread and, ac and accept that the whole world needs to operate on whichever so premise we're gonna have, so we're gonna have and the west have identified or capitalism uh, with America as the, the, the leader of this and the advocate of it, that the whole world needs to operate on their terms. This is why they fought the Cold War, who for their side wanted the whole world to operate on capital, uh, communism. communism. And they identified that the only threat to capitalism now is Islam, because we have our own system and we've got our own uh, way of life. And not only that, We've actually got a successful history to show how this operated throughout the world and how it transformed the lives of people. And they realize that if this is allowed to stem again and spread again, then it's going to overtake their life, uh, their way of life. And for that reason, they made it their mission, uh, the, the West have made it their mission to make sure that the Muslim world not only abandon Islam in terms of ideas and belief, but they adopt secularism and democracy so i think with democracy i think the, the key issue is secularism isn't it democracy like you yeah. said is just a, like the, the ruling system in a way yeah but the, the reality is is that you know what they're not saying is that people have to become uh, atheist mm. i.e 
from a Muslim point of view. But what they're saying is that this world has room for a certain version of Islam, which fits in the democratic system, because you know if Islam is like what they promote, promote as moderate Islam, if your Islam is purely your personal personal worships, then man has room to make the law, make the laws. Because your Islam doesn't cover this area, but if we want to uh, see the Islam which was revealed uh, to the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which was which Allah says that He's perfected His Deen, it covers all aspects of man's life. This then would not be able to fit in a democratic system because, like you said, there's a clash. One would have to overcome overcome the other anything you want to add to that rush before no we... all i would say is it conveniently links back to the whole brexit is, issue is that you know what we said at the beginning is that there is this clash that is going on in a lot of countries where this there's the rise of the right wing and this rise of the right wing and even the rise of you know even the status quo people are not happy within that the common person under democracy the like the especially like the lower class person isn't being accommodated for as we see in a capitalist world, the rich are getting richer, yeah. the poor are getting poorer. And this is under democracy. And this is under this framework of capitalism. So the whole Brexit thing came about from that. There was this issue, there's a clash in this society. In this very society, forget the Muslims for a second, there's a clash in this society that is occurring, which is creating this rift. But at the same time, the Western nations, they recognise that when, if they wanted to, they could try to rectify that clash, but actually they're facilitating it. They're facilitating some of these right-wing movements because they want this clash between disbelief and belief, between Haq and Batil. They know that Islam has this power to be able to come against them. And the only way they can fight that is if they completely alienate Islam from the common person. So we're seeing that all around the world. And their way of doing that also in the Muslim lands is to export this version of democracy that they can then control the masses in those Muslim lands even more. So all of this, it kind of comes full circle because it's a very much part of what Aftab saying is this battle between Haq and Batil. And it's important for us to know why that's happening. Know that democracy is not from Islam and then go actually all the problems that are created in our lands is because you guys are trying to export foreign ideas that we don't want. We want to live by our ideals, by our by Islam, but you're trying to export that so you can control us. And it's about time we realize that and we search for the truth in Islam. SubhanAllah. Yeah, I mean uh, what you've said there is sort of like summarizes it perfectly to be honest with you um, but what we can see then is to you know sort of like a few points before we finish is the whole issue of Brexit I mean when this is released maybe we're maybe, well maybe England Britain is still in or maybe it's out obviously it looks like uh, it's still going to be in and the, you know the facade is going to continue but the funny thing is sorry to interrupt yeah. is that I was thinking we release on that date because something's going to happen. So at least, okay, it sounds like, okay, yeah. it's moving. All of a sudden, it looks like nothing's going to happen on the 31st. I, I personally think you were very optimistic. I was very that, optimistic. Uh, but the thing is, is what it does show as Muslims, okay, uh, not just in the West, but in the Muslim lands, that in reality is we are one ummah. And the issues, we, whenever we look at our problems, we should never look at them uh, as individuals. We look at them collectively as, as the problems of the Ummah. And the issue of Brexit remain, you know, or, or leave, 
if people have these uh, have an opinion on this, okay, majority of you, and I think you guys have mentioned it, especially people obviously living in the UK, is going to be based on your personal personal benefits. In all honesty, you understand. But the reality is, for the Muslims, and the bigger picture is that you know what we are seeing here is that this is just another another flaw in the whole uh, democratic, the whole capitalist system. And the way we should see it is that not just purely from a personal benef- uh, beneficial point of view, the way we, we should see it is that the whole process is un-Islamic for a start. And if that's the case, that's good we should think that because that will bring about more questions. What are those questions? People think, well, you know, I'm living here, surely I should play a part. But the reality is, is that maybe this leads to the next question of, you know, is politics something that Muslims stay away from? Or do we have our own version of politics? Do Should we have, should we be living in, in a society where the politics is not based on democracy or man-made laws, but it's, the, uh, it's based on the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know? And if we don't live in this society or if we don't live in this system and it doesn't exist, what are we doing to bring this back? So it actually opens up, you know, uh, more questions for Muslims to be thinking about but that's only if it's more than just what's going to benefit me, you know, what's going to benefit my my children. And I think that's something which is important. So if you guys want to add a few more points, if you think there's anything we haven't covered, and we can bring this the, to The only close. thing I want to add is, um, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, when you talk with people, um, you know, on a one-to-one basis, a lot of it isn't new. You know, people will accept this, especially with rizq being from Allah. This is a term that you hear a lot of people say, rizq being from Allah and, you know, also uh, life being from Allah as well. And I think, but when things like Brexit happen, it really challenges people whether they truly, truly believe this, because then they say, talk about, you know, Brexit is going to impact on my rizq. I think we as Muslims need to go back to understand Islam, but only also believe in it and implement it. Because I think it's that intellectual aspect of it where we truly believe in it and this governs our life, which is what's holding us back as an ummah. And I think emotionally the attachment is there, clear cut. But until we believe in it and start implementing it and letting this shape our lives, our situation is not going to change. And this is what the West is trying, and not only the West, and I think some Muslims are aiding this by suppressing people's thinking, by keeping them weak, by saying, no, 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 this is going to impact you in a negative way. Whereas actually we should give Muslims the confidence in Islam. This transformed lives. We've seen it throughout history from the, the time of Muhammad Sallam up until you know, recent times. It transformed the world and it's been the envy of the world ever since. And we should have, that should give us confidence that this is how we want to live our life, not be fearful of it. Subhanallah, subhanallah. If there's, uh, I mean, the thing is, to be honest with you, uh, you know, we only have a certain amount of time in this podcast, but this has uh, set, set things nicely up for many other topics. One is, for example, politics in Islam. Is politics, you know, is it a dirty thing? Can we even use the word politics and Islam in the same in the same sentence? You know, or even the issues of to do with uh, whether you know we are uh, British or French. Uh, before Muslim or the whole concept of are you British or are you Muslim, you know, because uh, a lot of people I don't want to go to it, but a lot of people when you post your way, a lot of people you speak about. My personal opinion is, a lot of people think uh, Muslims think that they're going to be here in the West forever and ever and ever, and sometimes you even refer you hear them refer to you know our armed forces when they refer to British for our Prime Minister, and really that's something which. Really uh, irritate angers me actually, yeah. but this is not for this podcast. 
maybe some good ideas for moving forward inshallah ta'ala so if there's nothing else to uh, add i think uh, okay rash's point is just advice there. more than that. and i think we c- any advice from us directly we can't do this type of advice justice in that what umar radiallahu an said so let's use him as an example because what he said is we got honor through Islam. So they, he's describing those people, those Bedouins, those desert dwelling people, and they were fighting each other, the tribes were fighting, and they were a declined people, and they got honor through Islam. And when he tells us that, he says, they got honor then through Islam, and we can only get honor through Islam. If we seek honor through anything else, and it applies to democracy, completely applies to democracy. If we seek honor through anything else, then we'll be humiliated. He told us this, he advised us of this, and we should take heed of that. If we seek our honor through Islam again, then we will be, our rank will increase. Whereas if we continue to seek honor through these other means, whether it's because you know we've been duped, whether it's because we're being pragmatic, whatever it is, we need to start seeking honor from Islam again. SubhanAllah, and, uh, you know, ending the podcast on, on a brilliant example there, a piece of advice for ourselves first and foremost, and for all the listeners and, and the people watching this podcast. So you have to all the audience, whether you're listening or watching, um, I hope you benefited from this podcast. And inshallah ta'ala, you know, please follow us on all our platforms. There's so many to mention. We have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have um, YouTube, Telegram, and obviously all popular podcast platforms. And, uh, you know, supporters, inshallah ta'ala, we can't do this without uh, the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and without your support. So, uh, you know, if there's any topics that you think we should cover, let us know, get in contact, get in touch. This is your podcast. And we're doing it for the pleasure of Allah but also to get awareness, to, to generate awareness uh, in the Ummah as well. So inshallah on that note, Jazakallah khair for watching or listening. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.